This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. It's Zoomer Radio's Theater of the Mind with Frank Proctor. Open your mind as we fill your head with amazing thrills, chills, <laughs> and laughs. Theater of the Mind, the best love programs from radio's golden age, only on Zoomer Radio. Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor. Well, thank you, and welcome to the show. Tonight, we begin with a visit with Sergeant Joe Friday, portrayed by Jack Webb, who, as well as being the creator of the show, is also the producer. I like Jack Webb. There was just something decent about the guy. Made his acting role seem very natural. He underplayed the role to great effect. Now, at the half hour, we'll switch to comedy with the help of Edgar Bergen and his little wooden buddy, Charlie McCarthy. More about that a little bit later. Right now, we go to Los Angeles and hear the episode of Dragnet entitled The Big Shot. For Chesterfield. Chesterfield, first cigarette in America to give you premium quality in both regular and king size, brings you Dragnet. Ladies and gentlemen, the story you are about to hear is true. The names have been changed to protect the innocent. Detective Sergeant, you're assigned a homicide detail. A nightclub manager has been robbed and killed. The killers made good their escape. Their identity is unknown. Your job, get them. Dragnet, the documented drama of an actual crime. For the next 30 minutes, in cooperation with the Los Angeles Police Department, you will travel step-by-step step on the side of the law through an actual case transcribed from official police files. From beginning to end, from crime to punishment, Dragnet is the story of your police force in action. It was Wednesday, April 7th. It was warm in Los Angeles. We were working the day watch on a homicide detail. My partner's Frank Smith. The boss is Thad Brown, chief of detectives. My name's Friday. I was on the way back from R&I, and it was 1.46 p.m. when I got to the interrogation room. Find anything? No, they're checking it now. Mr. Seaton? Uh, yes, sir. I wonder if you'd mind going over all that happened just once more. You might have forgotten something, some little thing that might help us here. All right. Uh, where do you want me to start? Where I came in this morning? Yeah, that'll be fine. Well, I came into work about 8.30. Is that the time I usually get there? Uh, yes, sir. It depends what time I catch my bus. Uh, usually it's about then, though. Mm-hmm. Was Mr. Kelby there then? Yeah, he usually gets in around 8 or so, comes in, looks the place over. You know, checks the register, liquor supply in the bar, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And then he goes to his office to count the money for the night before, get the deposit slip ready for the bank. Uh, that's what he was doing this morning when they came in. You see him come in? Yeah, I was in the kitchen when those two men came in. Mm-hmm. First, I thought they were salesmen. Both of them were dressed kind of nice. A lot of salesmen come in to see Kelby that time in the morning. I didn't figure anything was wrong. They say anything to you, these men? Well, no, not at first. They just stood there looking the place over. I went on peeling my potatoes. Then I heard one of them say that he guessed they might as well get it over with, and that's when they pulled the guns and told me it was a stick-up. Mm-hmm. Go ahead. Well, 
first. I didn't know quite what to do. I asked him if they was kidding, not to pull jokes like that. I told him if it was a joke, it wasn't very funny. Mm-hmm. And then the big one came over and told me to keep my mouth shut, told me it wasn't any joke. And if I made a sound, they'd just soon blow my head off his look at me. Well, you just know it wasn't about to cause any trouble. Did Mr. Calby know they were in the place? No, not then. You see, he keeps the door to his office closed when he's counting the money, and I thought about yelling to him, but then when I looked at those two guys, I thought about what they'd said about killing me. I decided not to. What did these men do then? Uh, the tall one walked over to the door of Mr. Kelby's office and knocked on the door, and Mr. Kelby said for him to come in. Mm-hmm. They opened the door and walked in. He saw the guns, asked him what they wanted. Uh, told him they'd better get out of there with those guns, not to cause any trouble. The little one laughed at him and said they wanted the money and that Kelby was the one who shouldn't cause any trouble. I see. Well, the little one started to pick up the money and stuff it in his pockets, and Mr. Kelby told him they better leave it alone, that he had friends who'd take care of him. And the two of them said something I couldn't hear. The little one told Kelby that his friends wouldn't do him any good. And that's when they shot him. Which one actually shot him? Oh, the little one. He's the one who said that thing about the friends. Well, did you try to do anything to help Kelby while all this was going on? Well, what could I do? I told you what those guys said. Kelby wanted to be a hero, save the money. Fine, I wasn't his money. belonged to the owner's. Look, I tell you, Sergeant, money isn't worth that much. They nail you into that box, and they don't throw a bank book in. Those guys told me to stay put. I stayed put. What did these two fellas do after they shot Kelby? Well, the big one was real surprised, like he didn't know the little one was going to do it. He yelled at him he was a fool, said he was a stupid fool. Those were his exact words. And the little guy finished getting all the money, and then they ran out. Well, I'll tell you, I was scared to death they were going to kill me, too. It looked like it for a minute, too. How do you mean? Well, when they ran through the kitchen of the back door, a little one stopped and asked what they was going to do about me. I thought, sure, my number was up. That big one said not to make it any worse to leave me alone, then they ran out of the place. Boy, that's when I called the cops and those other guys, you know, out there in the car. And then you came. The rest you know. Are you sure that you've never seen any one of these men before? Well, sir, I'm pretty sure I haven't. I wonder if you can give us some kind of a description on these two men. Yeah, the big one was about six feet two, maybe three. Weighed about 180 to 200. Dark, uh, black curly hair. Anything special about him, the way he talked, any scars, anything like that? No, nothing. How was he dressed, do you remember? Yeah, he had on a gray suit, uh, Glenn clad, uh, had kind of red in it, you know. The suit looked expensive. He had black shoes, a maroon tie. Now, how about the smaller one? What did he look like? Oh, he was a little one, uh, five, six, or seven, uh, 130, 35 pounds. He was dark, too, black hair, cut real short. Uh-huh. How about his clothes? Oh, a hat on a blue suit. Uh, looked like a gabardine. Uh, single-breasted, light blue. Hat on a yellow shirt and dark blue tie. Would you know if there were any marks or scars on him? Oh, yeah. He uh, he had a little tiny scar right here. On the edge of his mouth. Uh-huh. Made him look like he was smiling all the time. Well, these are very good descriptions, Mr. Seaton. They're going to help us a lot here. Yeah, well, like I said, I wasn't about to be a hero and try to stop these two, but... I knew that you'd want to know what they looked like, so I tried to get all the dope I could. We understand. Now, during the holdup, did either of these men use any names? One of them call the other by a name, anything like that? Oh, let me think about that. Yeah. Yeah, there was something. Uh, while they were in the office, while the little guy was picking up the money, the big one said, hurry up, Deuce. Yeah, he called him Deuce. That was a smaller one? Uh-huh. That's right, Deuce. Joe. Yeah. I'll ask the stats office to make a run on the descriptions and MO for us. Check the oddity and the moniker file in the R&I office and see if they can come up with a deuce or anything on this car. I'll be fine, fine. Thanks a lot. Hey, uh, you got cigarettes, sorry? Yeah. There you go. Thanks. Yeah, how about a match? Sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Thanks. Yeah, it's a terrible thing. You know, Kelby being shot, I'll probably lose my job. 
How's that? I'll probably lose my job. The owners will figure, sure, I should have tried to stop those guys. Well, those are the breaks. You said that when these men came in, the door to the manager's office was closed. Is that right? Oh, yes, sir. Uh, Mr. Kelby always kept it closed when he counted the money, just like I said. Uh-huh. Well, and it looks like the men knew that Kelby would be checking the money at that time, doesn't it? That they mm. knew the layout of the place when they came in. Yeah, you know, I never thought of that. My gosh, that's what must have happened. They sure seemed to know what was going on. Anybody else that was usually around at that time, would you know? Anybody that might have known that the manager worked the accounts at that particular time? No, there's nobody else around. But I, I don't think that Mr. Kelby kept it a secret about the money. Was Kelby conscious at all after he was shot? Do you remember mm, that? Not more than a minute. I ran over to him right after the men left. I wanted to see if I could help, you know. Mm. And he was shot pretty bad. They'd hit him in the stomach. He was all doubled up. Terrible. He looked up at me and said, I know. And his voice kind of trailed off. That's all. Just, I know. Staff's office is making the run, Joe. Got out the local and the APB on the suspects. Nothing that matches the name Deuce and nothing on the scar. Anything from the crime lab, yeah? No. Checked by the office. While I was there, Murphy called from Georgia Street. Anything? Yeah, not good. What? Kelby died and never regained consciousness. With the death of the victim, any information he might have given us about his killers was gone. The one witness to the murder was shown the mug books, but was unable to identify the suspects. Sergeants Gillen Sinus and Danny Galindo canvassed the neighborhood and came up with the driver of a bakery truck who thought he'd seen the killers leave the club. He told them that two men answering the description given us had walked out of the club and gotten into a late model Mercury sedan. He'd not been able to get the license number of the car, however. He was brought into the office and shown the mug books, but he was unable to point out the killers for us. In checking the neighborhood, Encinas and Galindo had come up with a waitress who had seen two men answering the description of the killers loitering around the area. She also described the Mercury sedan, but said that she hadn't paid much attention to it. Because of the smoothness with which the hold-up men had operated, indications led us to believe that they had been tipped off by somebody working for the club. Proceeding with this theory, we checked with the club owner, a Mr. John Watson. We found him in the kitchen of his home. Hope you don't mind if I finish up here, officer. No, not at all, Mr. Watson. Guess it seems a little silly to you for a man to be in the kitchen. Kind of a hobby of mine, cooking. Yes, sir. Making a cheesecake. Got some friends coming over tonight. Figured the cheesecake might taste good later in the evening. Yes, sir. You go right ahead. We just have a few questions we'd like to ask you. About the robbery? Terrible thing. I don't understand why Kelby just didn't give him the money. Not give him any reason to shoot. Do you have any idea who might have known that the money would be in the office at the time? You know, almost everyone that worked in the place. Not making mention of the salesman that came in. Would you hand me that rolling pin over there? Yeah. Here you are. Thanks. Trust to a cheesecake's important. That's one of the reasons I make it myself. Can't stand a soggy crust. <laughs> Are there any of your employees that you think might do a thing like this? Well, that'd be hard to say. I didn't get around the club much. Once in a while, I'd drop by, I'd chat with Kelby. He did the hiring and firing. As long as the place made money, I didn't interfere. Well, the way it looks, it could be very likely that one of the employees did it. The men who pulled the job seemed to know just what they were doing. That's right? Yes, sir. I wonder if we could look through your employment records. Sure, of course. Anything I can do to help out in this thing. Uh... Uh, would you hand me that pan over there? Uh, this one? Yeah. Uh, thanks. Get this crust into it, and the cheesecake's about ready. Yeah, sure, you can look at the records. Don't see what that's going to show, but you're welcome to them. Uh, what kind of a car do you drive, Mr. Watson? Uh, new Lincoln. Just got it a couple of weeks ago. Any of your employees drive a late model Mercury that you might know of? No. Oh, like I said, I don't really have a lot to do with the actual operation of the club. Kelby took care of that. Good manager. Did a fine job. Can you tell us how much money they took, sir? No. Near as we can tell, it came to a little over $1,100. Some of that was in checks. You know, that we cash for our customers. Well, that finishes that. Get this together. 
I'll get to the oven. Looks good, doesn't it? Yes, sir. <laughs> you should taste it. Set it for 350 for 25 minutes, and that does it. Now then, can I get you officers anything? A cup of coffee, something like that? No, sir. If you just arrange for us to check your employment records. Certainly. I'll call the club right away. We'd appreciate that. My brother-in-law's down there looking after things now. He's an idiot. Never could get a job on his own. I only hired him because my wife insisted on it. Yeah, he'd probably botch up the whole thing. Usually does. Well, if you'd call him, sir. How's Kelby's condition? Going to be laid up long? Well, Mr. Kelby's dead, sir. We thought you knew. No, I hadn't heard. Oh, I can hardly believe it. Such a ruthless thing, just terrible. Kelby was such a good man. Everybody that worked for him liked him. Didn't have an enemy in the world. He had two. We went back five years into the employment records of the club. There were over 200 names. Each of them had to be checked out. Frank and I spent two months running them down. In all instances, the people interviewed had alibis or else they could explain their action at the time of the robbery and killing. In each instance, if the person owned an automobile, it was checked. A broadcast and an APB had been gotten out on the late model Mercury scene at the club, but there'd been no answers. No replies had come in on the descriptions of the two suspects. June 17th, we were checking out the last three names on the list. One of the three, a David Adams, listed a rooming house on West 34th Street as his home address. We checked with a landlady, a Mrs. Elvia Collins. Adams? Sure, he lives here, second floor front. What if we could talk to him, ma'am? Sure, I've got no reason to say you can't. Come in. Thank you, ma'am. He isn't in right now. Went out about an hour ago. Said he had a lead on a job, and I sure hope he gets it. He's a couple of months behind in his rent. That's right. Sit down. Just take any chair. Thank you, Miss Collins. You officers like anything? Mint on the table there. Help yourself. No, thank you. Adams give you any idea when he might be back? No, he didn't say right out. I expect he'll be here by six. How's that, ma'am? That's when we serve dinner. Mr. Adams hasn't missed more than four meals since he's been living here. Mm. What's this Adams look like? Oh, little man. Sort of like my first husband, little dried-up man. How old would you say he is? Well, I know exactly. Baked his birthday cake last Wednesday. Forty-six candles and one for luck. About how tall would you say, ma'am? Five, six or so. How about his weight? Mm, maybe 120, and that'd have to be soaking wet. His real little man. Is he dark or light? Uh, I beg pardon? His hair, is it dark or light? Oh, light. A real silky hair, what little there is left of it. Funny the way he combs it. Never could figure it out why a man would comb his hair that way. What's that, ma'am? Well, you see, he's only got a little bit of hair on one side. He lets it grow real long, and then he combs it all the way over the top of his head so it'll look like he's got a lot of hair. He really doesn't, though. It's silly. But he's pretty vain about other things, too. Does he have any friends in the building, Miss Collins? Well, there's his two cousins. They've moved, though. How long ago did they move? Well, let's see. Must have been about two, three months ago. Yes, that much, anyway. Well, what did these two cousins look like, Miss Collins? Can you describe them? Well, you just bet I can. I had a lot of trouble with them, too, always drinking. Uh, first one, he was a big one. Six feet, anyway. Had dark hair. Weighed maybe 200 pounds. Miss Collins, how about his complexion? Dark. Anything outstanding about him? Well, now, what do you mean, outstanding? Well, I mean anything about him that struck you as being different, maybe anything that attracted your attention, something like that? No. Well, what about the number two man? How old was he? Well, he was a little younger. 35 or maybe 37, around there. Well, how tall would you say he was, Miss Collins? Well, he was a little man. Five foot six or seven. How much do you figure he weighed, would you know? 130 pounds or so. How about his complexion? Dark, just like the other one. Anything outstanding about him? Scars, tattoos, maybe anything like that? Yes, yes, he had a scar. 
right on the corner of his mouth. Made him look like he was smirking all the time. It was a real dirty look. What are these men's names, Miss Collins? Well, now the big one is called Al Evans. Uh-huh. The little one's name was Bill Evans. They was brothers. Do they have a car? Oh, yes, yes, late one. It was real pretty. You know what make it was? No. No, I'm sorry, but I can't tell one kind from another. Sure was a nice-looking one, though. A lot of chrome all over it. Do you have any idea where they might be now, where they moved to? Mm, no, I haven't. Well, Mr. Adams can probably tell you, though. I see. Oh, uh, that might be him now. I'll see. Oh, we'll go with him, ma'am, all right? Are you expecting any trouble? What's this all about, anyway? Mr. Adams done something wrong? Oh, I do hope not. He's a little man, but he's awfully nice. We'd just like to talk to him. Oh, I sure hope they won't be any trouble. Oh, Mr. Adams. Yes, Miss Collins? These gentlemen would like to talk to you. Oh? Something I can do for you? Are you uh, David Adams? Yes, sir, that's right. We're police officers, Mr. Adams. My name's Friday. This is my partner, Frank Smith. How do you do? What is it you wanted? Well, it might be better if we talked in your room. All right, but I still don't see what it is you want. Did you get the job? No, Mrs. Collins, but I've got another lead. Don't worry, I'll be able to take care of that matter by the first next week. Oh, it's all right, Mr. Adams. I understand. This is it. Not much. Sit down anywhere. Thank you. You want to tell me what this is all about now? What it is that you want with me? Well, we'd like to talk to you about the robbery of the Pink Rat Cafe last April. Manager was killed. The Pink Rat, yes. I worked there a couple of years ago, but I don't think I've been in the place since then. I lost the job. Kelby fired me for dropping a load of dishes. Did you have an argument at the time? Well, a little one, yeah. I was sore. He was, too. Wanted me to pay for the dishes. I didn't feel it was my fault. I told him so. He had a few words. Nothing serious, so why? Mr. Kelby was killed in the holdup at the bar. Yes, I know. That's too bad. But you surely don't think I had anything to do with that, do you? Well, that's what we're trying to find out. Well, why do you think I'd have anything to do with it? I haven't been near the place for a couple of years. Well, the way the thing was pulled, the whole M.O. makes it look like it's an inside job. Somebody had to give the layout, tell him that Kelby would be in his office with the money at that time, and all points to somebody that either works there now or who did work there. Yes, but why me? Well, your name was on the list. It had to be checked out. Adams, you got any relatives in town? Not now. I had a couple of cousins. They were out here for a while. What are their names? Alan Bill Evans. Mind if we look around your room? No, I got nothing to hide. Go ahead and look around. You won't find anything. Thanks. What is it about my cousins? You figure they had something to do with the thing? Well, we think they might have. Their descriptions match the ones we got from the witnesses. You've been talking to old Mrs. Collins. She's the one who told you about Alan Bell, isn't she? Well, who told us isn't important, Adam. You don't have to admit it, I know. You're a busybody always getting your nose into somebody else's business. Oh, Harpy. Joe. Yeah. Look at here. What's this gun for, Adams? You never know when somebody's going to try to break into the house. It's protection, that's all. Mm. You never had it out of the house, huh? Not since I bought it. It's the thirty-two, though. What are you so interested for? Kelby was killed with a thirty-eight. Well, he was, wasn't he? Seems to me I heard it on the radio or read it in one of the papers. No, you didn't. The caliber of the gun that killed him wasn't released. How'd you know? I must have read it in the paper, like I said. No, this won't work, mister. I think maybe we better talk to you downtown, huh? You going to arrest me? Just like to talk to you downtown. Let's go. Well, sure, but... I got nothing to hide. Well, you still got to come up with an explanation for knowing about that gun. Description we got matches your cousins. You know about the gun. You got a lot to explain. I don't want to go to jail. It's too bad, Adam. You should have thought about that before you got involved in this. Well, if I tell you, if I help you get the guys that did it, will you give me a break? Well, we can't make any deals. Well, I don't want to go to jail. You can't do anything for me, huh? All we can do is see that the district attorney's office knows that you've helped. But you'll tell him, huh? If I give you a hand. He'll know about it. Okay. I got claustrophobia putting me in a cell and drive me nuts. I tell you who did the job. More than that. Yeah. I can show you the gun they used. 
are listening to Dragnet, the authentic story of your police force in action. Listen to what the nation's press has had to say about Chesterfields. Atlantic City Evening Union. Wholesalers and retailers report an extraordinary demand for Chesterfields in both sizes, with sellouts in many instances. Cleveland Press. Dealers everywhere report the big pack sale phenomenal. Last week in Cleveland, some areas reported the long-sized Chesterfield outsold all other brands. And from all over the country, we're getting reports from dealers telling us no product they ever handled has grown so fast in so short a time as king-size Chesterfields. Yes, with a buying public today, high quality for the money is a must. And that's why so many smokers are changing to Chesterfield. First cigarette in America to give you premium quality in both regular and king-size. King-size Chesterfield is exactly the same as regular Chesterfield, except it's larger. Contains so much more of the same tobacco, it gives you a 21% longer smoke, yet costs very little more. And the tobacco in king-size Chesterfield is of better quality and higher price than the tobacco in any other king-size cigarette. Try Chesterfield. Either way you like them. Regular or king size, they're much milder. Chesterfield gives you the best possible smoke. We took David Adams back to the office and checked the gun with pawn shop records. It was clean. We printed him and checked him through R&I. We took him over to Westlake Park and he showed us the approximate place in the lake where the gun had been thrown. He explained that his two cousins had talked him into helping him with the robbery of the club. He also said that as soon as he found out that there'd been a shooting, he'd washed his hands of the entire affair and told them that he'd have nothing more to do with it. The loot from the robbery had been divided between the two cousins, Adams taking no part of it. It took us two hours of searching before we were able to find the gun. It was turned over to Russ Camp in ballistics. He fired test shots from the gun, and comparison with the death bullet showed that it was the murder weapon. Markings on the shell casing found at the scene of the crime were the same as those left on the test casing. Adams told us that Bill Evans owned a late model Mercury sedan and that the two brothers had left for St. Louis in the car. He also was able to give us the license number. We checked with DMV and they told us that the legal owner was a finance company on Crenshaw. The manager there told us that their payments were up to date. They were able to give us a St. Louis address used as a reference by Bill Evans. We called the St. Louis Police Department, gave them a rundown and asked them to pick up the Evans brothers for us. The witness to the killing was unable to identify David Adams as one of the holdup men. He was taken to the main jail and booked on suspicion of 287 PC. Frank and I waited for word from the St. Louis Police Department. They're all the same, aren't they, Joe? What do you mean? They'll put an A of them in a tight spot and they'll spill all they know to save their skins. Well, it seems that way, doesn't it? Adams seems pretty sincere, though. Seems like he does really want to help. I will know more when we hear from St. Louis. You figure that Adams is telling the truth? I don't know. The story seems to check out about how he laid the thing out for him, uh-huh. showing us where the gun was. Being that far back in his room, Red, it'd make that part about him not taking any of the money fit. I'll get it. Homicide, Friday. Yeah, I'll take it. Mello. Yeah. Yeah, we've been waiting to hear from you. Did you pick up the Evans brothers? Uh-huh. Yeah, wait a minute. Toss me that pad, will you, Frank? Yeah, here. Thanks. Yeah, all right, go ahead. Uh-huh. What was that again? I didn't... Yeah, I got it. Okay, thanks. Anything we can do for you, give us a call. Yeah, sure, we sure appreciate it. Right, bye. What does it? What do you mean? St. Louis checked the address. They'd been there all right, but they left this morning. Any idea where they went? Yeah, the Evans boys told us. Huh? They left a forwarding address. Motel out on Ventura Boulevard. 
Frank and I notified Captain Lorman of the new developments. We talked to the manager of the motel, and she told us that she did have a reservation for June 24th under the name Evans. She told us that they'd be in Cottage 12. In view of the fact that the suspects had not been alarmed, we decided not to put out an APB on the car. We felt reasonably sure that having made the reservations, they'd keep them. But in the event the suspects arrived earlier than expected, a surveillance was placed on the motel 24 hours a day. Sergeants Howard Hudson and Bill Cummings took the period from 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. Frank and I covered the other 12 hours. Directly across from the motel was a used car lot. We talked to the manager, and he gave us permission to sit in any one of his cars while keeping the place under surveillance. As we relieved each other, the police car was taken back to the city hall so there would be no indication that the place was staked out. Four days passed. No sign of the suspects. June 23rd, 4.32 a.m. Charles. Yeah, Mercury sedan. License checks. Two men. Stopping at the manager's cottage. They're ringing a the bell. Yeah. Yeah, looks like they're signing the register. Must be. There. He's giving him the key. All right, let's let him get to the cottage. We told her we would. All right. There's the landlady signal. Let's go. All right. City and County of Los Angeles, State of California. In a moment, the results of that trial. Nose, throat, and accessory organs not adversely affected by smoking Chesterfields. First such report ever published about any cigarette. Yes, and it applies only to Chesterfield. A responsible consulting organization has reported the results of a continuing study by a competent medical specialist and his staff on the effects of smoking Chesterfield cigarettes. A group of people from various walks of life was organized to smoke only Chesterfields. For six months, this group of men and women smoked their normal amount of Chesterfields, 10 to 40 a day. 45% of the group smoked Chesterfields continually from 1 to 30 years, for an average of 10 years each. At the beginning and at the end of the six-month period, each smoker was given a thorough examination, including x-ray pictures, by the medical specialist and his assistants. The examination covered the sinuses as well as the nose, ears, and throat. The medical specialist, after a thorough examination of every member of the group, stated, quote, 
It is my opinion that the ears, nose, throat, and accessory organs of all participating subjects examined by me were not adversely affected in the six months period by smoking the cigarettes provided. Unquote. Now remember this Chesterfield report. It's the first such report ever published about any cigarette. Nose, throat, and accessory organs not adversely affected by smoking Chesterfields. Buy Chesterfield either way you like them, regular or king size. Chesterfield gives you the best possible smoke. William M. Evans and Alfred T. Evans were tried and convicted of murder in the first degree. They received life sentences in the state penitentiary. Because David R. Adams had turned state's evidence, and since he was not actually involved in the crime, in the interest of justice, the charges against him were dismissed and he was released from custody. This program is dedicated to the 59th Annual Conference of the International Association of Chiefs of Police held in Los Angeles this week. just heard Dragnet, a series of authentic cases from official files. Technical advice comes from the office of Chief of Police W.H. Parker, Los Angeles Police Department. Technical advisors Captain Jack Donahoe, Sergeant Marty Wynn, Sergeant Vance Brasher. Heard tonight were Ben Alexander, Virginia Gregg, Jack Crucian. Script by John Robinson. Music by Walter Schumann. Hal Gibney speaking. These great programs sound off for Chesterfield. Radio. Dragnet, the Dean Martin and Jerry Lewis show. And every weekday, Arthur Godfrey time. On television, Dragnet, Gangbusters, Arthur Godfrey and his friends in the Perry Como show. Tomorrow, you'll want to sound off for Chesterfields. Because either way you like them, regular or king size, Chesterfield gives you the best possible smoke. Chesterfield has brought you Dragnet, transcribed from Los Angeles. Stay tuned for Edgar Bergen and Charlie McCarthy next on Theater of the Mind. Time now for Edgar Bergen and Charlie McCarthy. Now, Bergen taught himself ventriloquism from a pamphlet called The Wizard's Manual when he was just 11 years of age. After his father died when Edgar was 16, he went out to work as an apprentice accountant, a furnace stoke, a piano player operator, and a projectionist at a silent movie house. In the fall of 1919, Edgar paid Chicago woodcarver Theodore Mack $36 to sculpt a likeness of a rascally red-headed Irish newspaper boy he knew. The head went on a dummy named Charlie McCarthy, which became Bergen's lifelong sidekick. He had created the body himself using a 9-inch length of broomstick for the backbone and rubber bands and cords to control the lower jaw mechanism of the mouth. His first performances were in vaudeville, he worked in one real movie short, but his real success was on the radio. He and Charlie were seen at a New York party thrown by Elsa Maxwell for Noel Coward, who recommended them for an engagement at the famous Rainbow Room. Now, it was there that two producers saw Bergen and Charlie perform. They recommended them for a guest appearance on Rudy Valley's program. Their initial appearance, December 17th of 1936, was so successful that the following year, they were given regular cast roles as part of the Chase and Sanborn Hour. The popularity of a ventriloquist on radio, 
when one could see neither the dummy nor his skill, surprised and puzzled many critics then and now. Even knowing that Bergen provided the voice, listeners perceived Charlie as a genuine person. Bergen's skill as an entertainer, especially his characterization of Charlie, carried the show. For the radio program, Bergen developed other characters, notably the slow-witted Mortimer Snurd and the man-hungry Effie Clinker. But the star remained Charlie, who was always presented as a highly precocious child, albeit in top hat, cape, and monocle, a debonair, girl-crazy child about town. As a child, Anna wouldn't wanted that. Charlie would get away with double entendres, which were otherwise impossible under broadcast standards of the time. So let's give a listen to how the program sounded back in the 1940s. And since their special guest is Hedy Lamar, we might expect some of those double entendres. The makers of Chase and Sanborn Coffee present Edgar Bergen and Charlie McCarthy with William Gaxton, Victor Moore, Mortimer Snurd, Dale Evans, the sportsman, yours truly, Bill Goodwin, our special guest, Hedy Lamar, star of the Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer production, Heavenly Body, and Ray Noble and his orchestra. Yes, Charlie. Uh, can I have a few words with you? Well, I suppose so. What is it? Well, we, uh, we, uh, we've been together a long time, haven't we? Yes, we have, Charlie. Yes, we have, yes. And, uh, we, uh, we're not getting any younger, especially you. <laughs> well, that applies to you, too, Charlie. Yes, it does, I know. I'm, I'm growing out of my youthhood, but I'm, uh, I'm not uh, as mature financially as I ought to be. 
So it's uh, money again? Well, I'm in a bank, yes. Well, my unfortunate friend, do you mean to say you you have no money in your piggy bank? Not a sow. Not a sow. <laughs> well, how does that happen? Well, my piggy bank went to market once too often. Oh, I see. <laughs> well, it's a, it's a tragic story, Charlie. A tragic story. Yes. And it, it touches me deeply. It do? Yes. <laughs> do it go as deep as your pocketbook? And do? <laughs> no, it would, Charlie, if I hadn't heard the story so many times before. Oh. You are always financially embarrassed. Yes, it's true. How is that? Well, I... I come from a long line of short people. Oh, that's <laughs> Well, I would give you more money, Charlie. You would? Yes. If I didn't think it was wrong and dangerous. How can a little more money be dangerous? Well, well, there, uh, there, there might be germs on the money. What? Germs. On germs on the money? Yes. <laughs> well, that's a new one, yeah. <laughs> germs on the money. That's pretty good, <laughs> If that's the case, I must be the healthiest kid in town. <laughs> well, Charlie, you're always asking for more money, though. But, Mr. Bergen, I, I'm not asking for more money. Oh, you're not? No. Well, then what is it? Well, I feel... I feel that a man in my position should have a checking account. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And what is your position? Well, I'm flat broke. You're flat broke. <laughs> A checking account of 75 cents a week. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, what will you think of next? I'll work out something. Yes. <laughs> I was hoping I might get my allowance for, oh, you know, two or three months in a lump sum. I see. In advance. Yes. You know, it might teach me responsibility. Oh, I see. Well, I think it would, yes. Yeah? Yes, I think maybe we can do that, Charlie. Yeah? Yes. This will be a noble experiment. Oh, it sure will, yes. You mean you'll do it? Well, I'll think about it. I'll open a checking account for you and put in $12. You will? Yes. Now, that's four months' allowance. Yeah. How soon can I have it? Well, I'll open your account Monday morning. Yeah? Yes. Woo-wee! <laughs> Monday afternoon, there's going to be a one-man run on that bank. <laughs> But remember, that money has to last you for four months. Oh, sure, sure, sure. Don't you worry, Bergen. All right. I'll prove to you I'm a good businessman. Well, I hope so, Charlie. Then someday, why, you'll be a great help to me when I'm old and gray. Yeah. Oh, yes. <laughs> I won't do it. I won't do it. A smart track now might cost me 12 bucks. Yeah. <laughs> Now, there are a few things I want to caution you about, Charlie. You must guard your checkbook. Yes, sir. And you mustn't overdraw your account. Oh, no, sir. No. Well, there's one more thing, though. What is it? I- is, this, is this bank good? Oh, of course. I think it's good. Yes. Yes, I think they have a reserve of, uh, uh, oh, I think it's around $3 million. $3 million. Yes. Mm-hmm. Well, that ought to last me a little while. <laughs> what are the chances of me hitting the jackpot? No, no. <laughs>
with you fellas. Now, don't tell me that you need money, too. No, no, no. <laughs> no money. Me. Just a few words. Well, I don't know. Shall we give Mr. Gaxton a couple of words, Bill? Uh, well, uh, Edgar, I guess we could spare one or two short ones. Short now, listen, words. fellas. Now, I'm going to direct a picture, and I'm trying to find a leading man. Oh. You know of anyone? Oh, well, yes. 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 No, I, I, I uh, but probably just the type you're looking for, Billy. But you see, I'm tied up at Patamount. Much as that. Yeah. Gaxton, I know you want me, but Charlie doesn't allow me to appear in a picture without him. It's just one of those. Yes, things. well, neither one of you would do. You see, oh, what yeah. I've got to find is a tall, handsome, debonair, smooth-looking young fella, a gorgeous hunk of man, a husky Tarzan who will out Tarzan Tarzan. Hello. All right. <laughs> well, your man, Billy. Right there. Victor Moore. Oh, no, no. You'd never do. No, Mr. Gaxton, I know there's a shortage uh, of uh, handsome actors, so I want to volunteer on account of the shortage. My dear friend, there's a shortage, not a famine. <laughs> Now, don't be too hasty. My relatives tell me I have the features of Robert Taylor, the voice of Cary Grant, and the physique of Tyrone Power. Too bad it all comes out porky pig. <laughs> oh, I think I'm prettier than he is. But I'd like to get into Western pictures. Don't you think I'm the tough and rugged type that could bulldog a steer? Well, you certainly got the face for it. Uh, tell me, Mr. Moore, have you, uh, have you ever made a test for any of the studios? Oh, sure. I made a test for a studio once, and they kept calling me for three days. But I never went there. Mm-hmm. Playing hard to get, huh? No, I just didn't like what they were calling me. <laughs> Well, I'm going to give you a trial anyway. You see, the part I have in mind calls for you to stand on top of a hill and face the camera so everyone can see your big, beautiful brown eyes. I got those for my mother. (laughs) The women in the audience are spellbound and thrilled at your broad, manly shoulders. I got those for my father. Yes. As you stand there smiling, we see your glittering, white, pearly teeth. I got... Them from a family tent in Paris. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Mr. Moore, let's face it. You see, you're not the romantic type. Now, look at your figure. You're so big around the middle, you don't even need a belt. I know it. My pants establish a beachhead, and my stomach holds it. <laughs> <laughs> well, with that shape, why aren't you wearing a girdle? <laughs> my wife got up this morning and beat me to it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll tell you what I'm going to do, Mr. Moore. You might have hidden talents. By a strange coincidence, I have a scene from the picture right here. Now, we'll go over it together. Me and you? Okay, yeah. Delphi. Now, I tell you, it's a great story. You see, you will play the part of a strong, dashing hero, and I am a petite Russian princess. You're a princess? Yes, I'm a princess. I speak first, you see. You ready? Here we go. Oh, my little Bublitsky, look into my eyes and whisper those three little words that mean comfort, bliss, and contentment. You know those three little words, don't you, Boris? Yes, scratch my back. <laughs> no, 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 let's, let's, come on now, let's, let's start again. Now, here we go, come on. Boris, my sweetheart. I cannot stand it any longer. Let us run away together. What time, Boris, shall I be ready? Sonia, my darling, first of all, I must go in the house and shave mother. No, no. 
No, 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 no. That says you've got to go in the house and shave. Mother will be here at six o'clock. Go ahead. <laughs> no, no. Read, read the speech here. Read it right. Sonia, your cheeks are the color of rose petals. Petals, petals. <laughs> your lips are like wine. Your nose, your nose is continued on the next page. Reading the directions. I've never heard such a bad performance. Well, why couldn't you change it into a Western picture? That's where I'd really show you some acting. But I'm not casting a Western picture. Bang, bang, bang. Give me the boots and saddles. Bang, bang, bang. You fellas, give me them there papers around here. The baby. Bang, bang, bang. Cut it out. Wait a minute now. Listen. Stand back, you dirty cattle wrestlers. Wait. I'm venomous picture the tooth gun man. Wait, wait, bang, wait bang. a minute. Stop it. Stop bang, it. Stop bang. it. I say stop it. Stop bang, it. Stop bang. it. Stop bang. it. You hear me? Stop it. I don't want to hear another bang from you. Bang. <laughs> I told you I didn't want to hear another bang. Well, I had empty the gun, didn't I? Oh. <laughs> Dale Evans comes forth with a very interesting invitation. Put your arms around me, honey. Hold me tight. Mr. Goodwin accepts, Miss Evans. Fellas. begins to float then it starts a rocking like a motorboat oh babe I never knew any boy like you
In my arms, in my arms, I just gotta get a girl in my arms. Boy, are you bad. <laughs> yeah, you're feeling pretty chipper this evening, aren't you, Daggett? Yes, yes. Yes, it's it's a lovely evening this evening. Lovely evening. Yeah? Yes. What's the matter with you? <laughs> What's that stuff you got on your culture? What's that stuff, Peggy, now? It happens to be perfume. No. Yeah. Eau de cologne. Oh, is this so? Yeah. <laughs> smells more like an afternoon in a glue factory. No. <laughs> it's all right. Say, what are you? You're looking pretty sharp, aren't you? Yeah, well, thank you. What's going on, Bergen? What's, what's up your sleeve? Well, what's, uh, what's, what's all that? What's all that? <laughs> well, you you know who our guest is this evening, don't you? Yeah, Hedy Lamar. Well? 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 Are you kidding, Bergen? <laughs> you, you and Hedy Lamar? Yeah. Why don't you give up? Well, <laughs> What's so unusual about me feeling a little romantic? Romantic? Yeah. Oh, nothing. Only aren't you swinging after the ball went by? Well, now... <laughs> All right, I admit I'm not a college boy. Boy, there's a concession. Yeah. <laughs> but there's no harm in trying to recapture my youth. Capture your youth? Yes. First, you better try and recapture your middle age. No. <laughs> My dear boy, age is not everything. It's how you feel. That's what counts. Yeah. Yes. How can you say that? You who've been going steady with a hot water bottle now. (laughs) 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 Oh, I can't keep this. Oh, Goodwin. Yes, Jack. How do you like Bergen? He thinks he's going to go, you know, get someplace with Henny Lamar. (laughs) Oh, really? Oh, now, aren't you a little optimistic, Edgar? Well, confidentially, I thought maybe you boys would help me. Help you with Lamar? Yes. Are you mad? Yes. <laughs> what are we, Tim? All right, all right. I thought I might even go as far as uh, make it worth your while financially. Yeah. Oh, well, now, that's different. Tell us more, good-looking. All right. <laughs> I have always been on the side of truth and fair play. Oh, no. Unless there's something in it for me. Yeah, that's uh, <laughs> By the way, Edgar, how much is there in it? Well, I planned on giving you 50 cents apiece. Yeah. Oh, thank <laughs> Well, you'll get just what you pay for. And cheap is cheap, buddy. All right, all right. Hello, Charlie. Chick is breaking as she comes. Yes. Well, Hetty Lamar. Hello, Bill. Hello, Charlie Wally. Oh. <laughs> Hello, Hetty Wally. Hello, Charlie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Charlie, remember the 50 cents. Uh, what? 50 cents, remember? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. I've made the dumbest deal in my life. <laughs> Hedy, we, we've got a TL for you. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yes, we have, Hedy. We know someone who likes you very much. Oh. He's just crazy about you. That's wonderful. Tell me about him. What's he like? Well, he... <laughs> Here's where we go to work, Goodwin. Yeah. <laughs> well, Hetty, this man we're talking about, he's, um, yeah. he's, well, uh, mm-hmm. oh, you wouldn't believe it. <laughs> now, stop teasing me, boys. Who is it? Is he unattached? Unattached? Uh, mm-hmm. Yes, he's practically falling apart. 
I suppose he's dark and handsome. Oh, certainly. Don't watch it, good watch it. <laughs> well, he's um, handsome in the dark. Yeah. <laughs> yeah he's, a, he's a real uh, pin-up boy. Yeah. He sounds more like a bench pin-up boy. <laughs> no, not at all. He's a fine figure of a man. Yeah, yes, he has a nice figure. Hey, if you care for avocados. <laughs> <laughs> and what a... Body, a, a fine blend of quality, character, and deep down goodness. So hey, hey, when it's hey. coffee you're buying, no. ask your grocer for Chase and Sandy. No, 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 no. What is this? Hey, Goodwin, never mind a regular grind stuff. <laughs> Let's get back to the drip, you know? <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm dreadfully sorry. I was carried away. Now, tell me more about this Superman. Uh, is he the athletic type? Athletic, is he? Well, once he swam the Mississippi River. Oh, when was that? Uh, the day they put in a toll bridge. <laughs> you know, I like a man of interesting moods. One who is quiet and conservative one moment and glamorous and dashing the next. Well, he's a convertible model. Uh, yes. Mm-hmm. Slightly worn top. <laughs> oh, I hope he's well read and a student of the classics. Oh, uh, does he know Chaucer and Tennyson? Is he familiar with Lord Byron? Is he familiar with Lord Byron? Only last night they had dinner together. Uh, oh, Charlie, he's dead. No, he always looks that way. <laughs> It isn't fair to keep me in suspense any longer. You must let me meet him. No sooner said than done. Oh, Bergen. Here I am. Oh, hello. <laughs> hello, Mr. Barr. Oh, so you're the one they were telling me about. Yes, yes. I'm the boy. Uh, well, Miss Lamar, tell me, how, how do you feel about our client? Oh, it's no use, fellas. But huh? no one can say you didn't try. No. Really, I admire you boys for your loyalty. Well, thank you, ma'am. <laughs> so think you do all that for a friend. Yes, for a friend. And 50 cents. <laughs> oh, so that's it. You were doing it for money. Well, I don't Now agree. I'm disappointed in all of you. Well, but after all, Hetty, we, yeah. we, we were just trying to... What wouldn't I give to meet a man who was just himself? Frank, honest, and unassuming. Hello, everybody. Oh, me. Hello, Miss Lamar. Why, Mortimer, you know, I was just saying I'd like to meet a man who was down to earth. Someone who is really simple. <laughs> I guess I got what it takes, haven't I? Mortimer, come over here. No, I'm close enough. Boy. No, no, you're not. Oh, no, come you're on not. over. <laughs> I won't bite you. I wish you would. <laughs> Yeah, now, don't be afraid of me, Mortimer. No. I only want to hold your hand. No, no, you don't. You could now, please. No, you don't. Pretty please? No, 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 please hold my hand. No, 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 no. Why are you going to do it, that's all? Why not? Well, I'll hate myself in the morning. Mortimer, <laughs> <laughs> what's the matter with you? What do you mean? How can you be so stupid? Hmm. I got a priority. Oh, that's it. <laughs> 
something. <laughs> Mortimer, haven't you ever been out with a girl? Well, sure, uh, I had a date once. Oh, where did you go? Oh, sat on the front porch in a swing. So far did we swing. <laughs> what else did you do? Well, I looked at her. Please. Yes, you looked at her. Yeah. You know what she did? No. She looked at me. Oh, she looked at you, huh? Yeah. And, and, and then what? Well, shucks, ain't that enough for one night? <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, a word from Edgar Bergen. It was my good fortune during the past year to visit and entertain our servicemen in Alaska, the Aleutians, and Newfoundland. I saw them in the far-off outposts where they were living in anything but comfortable surroundings. But despite their inconveniences, I found them eager and anxious to do their part to destroy the enemy that is trying so hard to destroy us. That means that our men are ready to give their lives if necessary. While here at home, we are asked to do very little more than to invest our money in war bonds. We are not asked to give anything, but just loan our own government the money it needs to provide our men with the equipment and supplies they require to win this war for us. Every person who possibly can should buy one or more additional bonds during this third war loan drive. Ladies and gentlemen, if our men are to reach Berlin and Tokyo... The least we can do is pay their fare with bonds. We cannot afford to fail. When we all get together again next week, Charlie will meet up with an old pal and arch enemy, Charles Lawton. Since Mrs. Lawton and McCarthy don't always see eye to eye, we're looking forward to a hectic and hilarious evening. That's next week at the usual time. Plus, the two Charlies, of course, Edgar Bergen and Mortimer Snurd will be on hand as well as Victor Moore, William Gaxton, Ray Noble and his orchestra, and one of the finest singing groups we've ever heard, the Pied Pipers. This week, when you're buying coffee, think of us and ask for Chase and Sanborn, coffee made to serve in times like these. This is Bill Goodwin saying goodnight from Hollywood's Radio City. Thank you for listening. Tomorrow, we wrap up the week with Hopalong Cassidy, followed by The Great Gildersleeve. Thanks to Joel Schoenwell and Paul Stringer for technical support. The executive producer for Theater of the Mind is Moses Neimer. I'm Frank Proctor. Have a great night. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.